Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast with me, James Dixon, wishing you all a very good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever or wherever you've tuned into today's podcast from. Um, I, I say this quite often on the podcast that it feels like ages since we've done them. And uh, as many of our podcast followers will know, we record our podcasts in batches. So I'll sit down and record five, six, seven episodes in one particular day. So it could be uh, that we go for a month or so without actually recording these. So it's great to be back behind the mic again and uh, talk to some great guests on today's recordings. Um, and today's guest is Helen Beveridge. Helen uh, is from Data Oversight, um, a data compliance officer. Uh, maybe I've got that completely and wildly wrong, but Helen, welcome to the podcast today. Good morning, James. You did. You did indeed. It's, um, I'm a data privacy lead and for some organisations I operate as a data protection officer. And, and straight away I can feel the shudders and the shivers going down the spines of our podcast followers who are listening and thinking, data, that, hor <laughs> that horrible word data and a data compliance officer. Oh, this is going to be somebody who's going to come in and shut my organisation down. Um, it is something that scares people, particularly in the last couple of years, isn't it? People have really got themselves in a, in a bit of a tiz over data. Well, I think that they've got themselves in a bit of a tiz about the fact that somebody's telling them what to do with their data. I mean, the majority of event companies know that, that data is their most valuable asset. You know, if you sell a, a, an event company, if you sell an event, you sell essentially the data. Um, so, but it's the first time somebody has come up behind them with a big stick. Because data protection um, has been around for a very long time. Um, and um, the data protection previous data protection act was enacted in 1998 we had 28 years to kind of sort our lives out but um kind of ignored it a bit well quite a lot actually <laughs> um and uh, and then and and so um you know policy makers said well look we, we asked you to do this 20 years ago because we kind of sort of saw this coming and you ignored us and um and so we're going to make you um and we're going to come up with some happy little wheezes that are really going to make you. Um, the key one, which of course um, was really focused and concentrated the mind, was making directors of companies, trustees, etc., personally and severally liable for the fine. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I, I, and we had those wonderful letters come in a few years ago, um, and we are two minutes and 45 seconds into the podcast, and I'm going to say the letters GDPR, um, which came in. but. Uh, as you and I have spoken about before, and, and we should reference the fact that Helen and I were both at um, uh, a masterclass for exhibitors of Event Tech Live a few weeks ago, during which Helen spoke um, about data compliance and, and GDPR and all those things that we're, we're probably going to talk about on today's podcast. And, and one of the things that you said during that masterclass day is that, is that GDPR is not the only thing to, to worry about as far as data is concerned. There is other legislation that's still applicable, isn't there? There's loads actually, um, and, um, and one that hasn't changed, um, well, we had a slight tweak on the 13th of December last year, is um, what's known as PECA, the Personal Electronic Communications Regulations, PECR, um, and um, the, the, that's what deals with um, electronic communications. So um, there's a fancy little term, it's known as a lex specialis, so a specialist law. Um, right. And that sits on top of the GDPR. It trumps the GDPR. It trumps the Data Protection Act. Um, and it's all to do with um, the methods of communication. So if you kind of think about um, GDPR, Data Protection Act deals with um, uh, how, why, where, 
the functionality of collecting and using data. Mm-hmm. So what the PECA does is it takes out the little bit where you communicate electronically and says, ah, oh, but if you're going to do these things, you have some additional rules. So that is like um, a soft opt-in for um, B2B email communications or cookie regulations and all of those kind of things. They all sit within PECA. Right. Um, so, so there's some crossover because you because whether you were able to use the data in the first place sits within the CPR and then the PECA. Then there's also um, some other little nice little things. Um, one is um, the Misuse of Computers Act. So um, that is the law that is used if somebody runs away with your sales database. Um, so that's um, so that's how people get prosecuted into that. Um, um, then there are there are. It, wouldn't, it doesn't affect the events industry so much, but there are there are other rules with regards to specialist types of data and how those are used. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you can all breathe a sigh of relief because I don't know anybody who, who who would would need those particular types of data in the event industry. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And one of the things, uh, again, this is something that, that was touched on at, um, at the masterclass a few weeks ago, is that um, there was this worry in the events industry, particularly when, when GDPR came in, that suddenly everybody's data was going to be obsolete and they would have to essentially start from ground zero again. They could, people telling people that, oh, you can't use that anymore. You can't market to these people. You can't send emails. You can't do this. And a, a lot of that was maybe dispelled is not the right way to, to, to phrase it, but certainly that's something that, that, that you addressed. And I, I presume you've probably addressed a lot with event professionals in the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah so, so there were lots and lots of misconceptions. There were lots of people who, um, um, in order to fix their problem, then, as you, if you remember from my, my little Adam Stickman presentation, <laughs> yes. um, Adam, Adam goes and looks at, goes for a little quick look on the interweb um and he um and that's what lots of people did they went they went shit, 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 shit. sorry um but the, the, there was this big piece of, of legislation coming in um i need to fix it and i need to fix it quickly and um and so they went and grabbed the little bits of commentary that they thought applied to them mm. and that they thought um would enable them to fix their problem quickly and easily yeah um and so what that then happened was then that they they weren't looking at the veracity they were they were a little bit foxed by fake news yeah um and so um they they weren't checking the veracity of what they were looking at um and they were taking bite-sized pieces of advice um the gdpr itself the big bit of legislation it's actually really well nicely written it's you can understand it even as a non-lawyer um as opposed to the data protection act um which unless you've got um half a hundred weighted post-it notes to mark <laughs> every page and every reference is just like anyway, um so so um so by not being thoughtful they enabled themselves to be manipulated by the narrative that was created by people with ulterior motives or um, the one fact expert. And we all know that you know, in the land of the blind, the one fact expert is king. So, <laughs> yeah. so you, you kind of like, um, so that's, that's what they did. They, they ran to the, what they thought was their quickest fix. And now um, we're starting to see them unpick. And the case was that, that there were companies that hadn't collected their data previously in a compliant manner. Yeah. 
but they also didn't see that that data protection legislation is is it's risk based. So it's a, somebody described it as health and safety for data, and best possible efforts, and um, but also looking at the type of data that you hold. Now, if you hold name, company name, and email address from, on a B two B database, the risk of that data is really, really, really low. Right. Um, but equally, if that database is 100,000 records big and some of those people have been on the database without having any interaction with you for 10 years, then you, you, do, you did have to do some work. Yeah. Um, and, um, but in this rush to kind of get to the, the end point quickly, that, that thoughtfulness and that, that need to do the work disappeared. And then what we've also seen is um, organisations that confuse compliance with control. Mm. And by that, I know you've heard me talk about this before, but by that is it meant that if I put in place the fact that my staff can't do this, this and this, I am compliant. Being right. Like, mm, no, not really. Um, because what you've done then is you haven't gone and looked thoughtfully and carefully and in a granular manner about how you deal with every single bit of your data. Sure. For example, if I asked you how many data sets do you have in your business, you might say, I've got one, I've got customers. Um, yeah. Well, you've got at least two, because you've got employees as well. Um, and then say, what kind of customers have you got? And you say, well, I've got PR customers and I've got um, event management companies and I've got, you know, all these. You say, well, okay, well, that's immediately lots of different data categories because you don't do the same thing with all of them. Yeah. Yeah. And it was that, so, so yeah, I, I, at length, I've gone into one of my biggest bugbears. You shouldn't have started me off on this particular subject. <laughs> no, 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 no. We absolutely should do that. That's, that's why we've got you on the podcast today. Is it, it's, it's perhaps to talk about the stuff that people are not aware of. And um, one, one correlation that, that I made, um, when, when we were going through the, 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 the sort of getting ready for GDPR and, and the date looming, it, it reminded me very much of something that happened with the event industry a few years previous, which was introduction of um, CDM regulations as far as um, the build of live events uh, was concerned and changes to regulations. And without getting bogged down into that and the, and the details of that, one thing that came about the discussions and the podcasts that we did around that whole subject was a lot of people said to me that if an organization was fundamentally operating really well and doing things in a safe and uh, appropriate manner, the introduction of these new regulations as far as building live events would not really affect them. It would only affect the people who weren't really doing it in, in a correct manner to, to, to begin with. And to me, that strikes me that it, there are a lot of similarities with the whole data side of things is that, that the organizations, the people who got really worried about this were perhaps organizations that, as you said, hadn't really been taking care of their data and doing it in an appropriate manner for, for a long period of time, which gave them concern uh, with the new regulations coming in. Those who had been looking after their data properly and appropriately and gathering it and obtaining it in the correct manner with the right consent perhaps had very little to worry about when these new regulations came in. I, d I don't know what you think about the sort of similarities between um, the introduction of the two things. I think it's a yes and no. With operations you have an ops manager and they have a process and procedure and good procurement mm -hmm. um, and 
um, and they are the only people that do it. And therefore, their expertise is very embedded in that area. You know, they have, you know, IOSH qualifications and sure, yeah, uh, etc. So they um, they were already in quite a regulated framework. So um, the introduction of tweaking of that regulatory framework was um, it was a it was a reasonably large step, but it was a step that felt within reach with data. They the, the way that businesses manage data come very much as a result of the democratization of technology mm-hmm. and by that what i mean is that everybody thinks they're an expert um <laughs> and um and because we all use technology we all use a smartphone we can all you know upload office 365 onto our pc we can all go and you know go and find a royalty free photography on the internet we can all go and do a bit of scope of linkedin we can all do that so so um and we like shiny things and um, I can say this as an ex-marketeer, um, marketeers love shiny things, they really, really do. And um, what happens with the procurement of technology to support the data effort is it was also democratised, which meant that the procurement was incredibly sloppy. So um, the big things that I've had to unpick is going to business and saying, um, where is your data going? And they think, oh, we put it into a Destra, and then we put it in Marketo, and then we've got it here and here and here. So, okay, so who did the procurement of those things? And they go, we don't know. So show me the contract. Not sure we've got one. Um, so who's your lead contact at that organisation that's got your data? Not a clue. Because the procurement has got, that there is no process. There's uh, um there was no diligence mm. and that's and you know it's enabled amazing feats of foot it's enabled um fantastic things to happen but what it means is that um you've scattered seeds and and you've got no idea where they are you've got no idea what's going to come up yeah. you've got no idea how to look after them no idea how many copies of the same things you've got um you, you're it's out of control yeah. And that that is the bigger difference. Um, I'm trying to our cat analogy that we used earlier when we were chatting, trying to put your kittens in a box. <laughs> yeah. When you when you actually don't know how many kittens they're feral, you don't know how many kittens you've got. At no point, you know, that they started multiplying so fast and so quickly that at some, one point you've decided to stop counting. And so that is what has happened with data. And so the introduction of something which said, you know what, guys, you need to know every bit of data, everywhere it goes, everywhere it sits, everyone who's using it, everyone you're sharing it with, was like, oh, where are those kittens? Yeah. Yeah, and 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 it's it's so relevant, isn't it, to, to to this particular industry because of the way now that that data is used. You know, if you go back and and just just referencing what you were saying about the data protection act and the previous data protection act came into effect you know around about 20 years ago if you think back 20 years how event organizers were marketing events well i can tell you because i was doing it well, exactly <laughs> even email was in its relative infancy you know, I was you might over be... yeah i can say i tell a story to people to tell them quite how old i was uh, but um, that, that, um, I was a pioneer. I, I sent out my first email campaign and I had 350 emails on it and it went from my Outlook 
and um, and and I and I created a static web page for my event, and that I had to really convince the um, event management team that this was a good thing to do, and it cost four and a half thousand pounds for five static pages. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, and, and, and there you go. That this is the, we've we've moved in such a relatively short period of time. Yeah so dramatically when it comes to the data that we have available as i said 20 years ago you might have been lucky to have a, a an excel spreadsheet likely likelihood is people still probably had a rolodex or a, a plastic box yeah. with a load of contact cards in and they yeah. would mail out printed invitations to their trade show or to their conference or to their event you know and and we have moved on so quickly something had to change didn't it regulatively speaking because yeah. Yeah. 20 years ago we were dealing with data in such a different way that the laws as they were then 20 years ago when the, when the last data protection act came in probably and, I, and you've looked through this and i haven't they probably don't cover anything like what we now deal with um and, and especially if i think about the different platforms you know most event organizers now are not just dealing with one database they're probably dealing with half a dozen at least different mm -hmm. technology providers who are delivering some form of service relevant to their visitors and they're all handling the data um yeah. some, something had to change didn't it it did really, and, and I, I think um, I've listened to Elizabeth Denham, who's the Information Commissioner, on a number of occasions, and she said there really and truly is only one thing that the GDPR um, legislates for, and that is single customer view. Mm. Um, and and what and for those that aren't as geeky about it as me, um, what that mm -hmm. means is that is that there's one core copy of your data, and and you you farm it out but you were all but the it always comes back to one copy yeah um and so if somebody says uh, what we've done with data where's it gone who've used it with etc 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 you can present it all in one go yeah um and the uh, it, it's it's asking you to, to to take responsibility as well for your data so um to give you an example of of, of quite how our data can go um, I had a little bit of a spat with a third-party data breaker um, because they were using a really old email address so I asked them I said um, can you um, I did a split request can you tell me where my data's gone and they said um, well we know we've sold it 33 times Wow um, but we can't tell you who we sold it to <gasps> crikey <laughs> so it's out there somewhere Oh, but, but it's, it's relatively low grade data, but I had a, I had a spare week in August and I kind of, I kind of did some of this. Um, and, um, I, you know, I had another one that said, I, I did a subject access request and said that again, and they gave me back a list of six companies, um, one of which was Experian. And I can't recommend that you try and do a B2B subject access request with Experian. Can't recommend it. <laughs> it took a lot of time and a lot of supervisors. Um, and they, um, and so I went and checked on this, these companies that they said they'd sold my data to. Yeah. Um, of them, two of the companies didn't exist. Three of the companies said they had never bought any data from this other company, and one didn't reply. And so, um, so you got to don't, don't lie either. Be honest. Be transparent. But but it but it meant that they actually didn't know. They they you know and they were in the business of selling data and they didn't know. Yeah. Um, so, so that that's kind of like a cautionary tale for event companies that are buying data. Sure. Yeah. Be be be, be really careful. 
be really careful. Be really, really careful because um, um, buying dirty data is like putting a drop of oil into your water source. The minute you buy dirty data, your entire database is dirty. Go back to how we introduced this whole discussion. Data is your most important asset and therefore it needs to be shiny it needs to be beautiful you need to polish it you need to look after it you need to nurture it you need to make sure that you've only got the you know the, the data that you really truly want that really is going to be the engine for your business uh, and i suppose if, if people va- not just value their businesses but, but people are in business to make money and if they want to make money and they want to make good profit and they want to be a, a successful business you want to target people accurately you want to target people who are relevant to your to your event in this instance you know you want to target people who you know genuinely have an interest in what you do um mm. a, a, as an event and uh, w- which sort of renders it a bit pointless just obtaining data willy-nilly if you forgive the phrase yeah so i i spoke at a detection conference um not very long ago and um um i can't remember the gentleman's name which i apologize profusely um but he's a, a senior marketing director sitting at board level and he said about the gdpr he said he said i am tired i am really 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 tired of going into a board meeting and reporting response rates of 0.01% to a particular campaign because someone thinks that quantity beats quality. Yeah. They said, now I have all the excuse I need to say to these people, we are going to really work out who our customers are and we are going to live, breathe and feel those customers um, and what motivates them and really work on on building good strong solid quiet relationships with them because what i'm going to use a big data phrase but come back to me i'm going to explain that a bit more what happened with big data is people think it's voluminous data lots of data that's how they describe big data and so uh, by virtue of the fact if you shout really loud and you throw enough mud yeah but all that does is, is that everybody is shouting really loud and everybody else is throwing mud. Mm. And so um, what the data protection legislation that's come in has been a really good reset button. And, yeah. um, and I have one client who um, they, they had a moment of doom when they're kind of like going, how are we going to, how are we going to work this out? And okay, well, but we have to. Um, and They've done it, but we're still in the compliance journey. We will be in the compliance journey forever because that's how it works. Yeah. Um, and they, um, I had a meeting with the CEO three weeks ago, and he he actually he said thank you, which was really quite lovely because they often get thank you. Um, but he said that what they we've done is we had removed all of the noise from the business. Yeah. We had removed that. Got us. Got to email a hundred thousand people got to do this, got to do that, to working out who were the people they really, really, really wanted to talk to. Sure, and, yeah. And, and because they had narrowed down who they really, really, really wanted to talk to and, and were getting rid of the chaff very quickly, they, they pulled their retention policies down, they, they keep the data for much less time. Um, because they were getting rid of that, they, were, they had strong databases to make sure that somebody said that they want longer wanted to speak to them that they yeah. were they weren't coming back onto the database complete constantly um, their sales team that their, their sales have gone up 
Um, but more importantly, the business has changed direction because yeah. the business is now able to, um, it's not fighting the noise, it's not fighting constantly, it is, it has a much clearer head and they are now, rather than just looking at their label in terms of what email can I broadcast tomorrow, mm. they are now planning much further in advance because they're looking at much longer chains of communication and, um, and he did say as a whole, he said this as a whole, we are a much happier forward moving company. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if, if, you've, if you've ever listened to this here ramshackle podcast in the past, uh, Helen, um, I do love a wild analogy. Um, and, and, and listening to you talk about that uh, it, it brings the restaurant analogy to mind um, and the subject of a menu. Um, and I found that uh, it, it, historically some of the best meals I've ever had have been in restaurants that have a very minimal menu, a very yeah. small amount of choice, because... What I've tend to found over, uh, find over the years is that those restaurants really know their identity. They say, this yeah. is what we offer. We do these four or five things really, really well, and that's it. The restaurants yeah. that have 400 different options on a 10-page menu are the ones that don't really know what they're doing, and, and they're trying to do a lot of things, and they're doing a lot of things really badly as opposed to doing a handful of things really well. Um, and that's my wild analogy for today's podcast. Is the rest <laughs> But I, but I like it. You did the um, you know, in um, in in chasing big data and and in the large quantities right, um, mechanism. Um, what I want to say was, was they're actually chasing thick data. Yeah. And and um, thick, you can take it as as um, a really badly phrased way of saying it's not grossly intelligent data, but also it's glutinous. It it drags you down. Yeah. Um, it's not that useful. Um, where what you, you want, you want, you know, um, the speedy Gonzalez's data, don't you? You want, <laughs> you want, you want, you want stuff that works. If you really want to know um, your your customers, if we if we think about in the event industry, the events that have got longevity, they are the ones that have moved with their audience because they yeah. know their audience, which means that they probably, although they may not have been managing their data in the most optimal way but they probably have been looking after their data mm. um, and they and they have been um, watching how it is working and and they are constantly offering new things for their for their customers or they're, they're just talking in the right way to the right people rather than you know in the good old days of you know um, for you know eight page conference brochures you know the big gatefold yeah you know where basically you had you had to tell so many stories to so many people in order to get a few of them on you know through the door mm -hmm. it's, it's um it's it's changed massively H helen before uh, as we as we move on with time today there, there's something uh, a particular subject or a particular item that i wanted to talk about on the podcast if you're, if you if you're okay for a few minutes to talk about and that is the subject of ico registration 
Um, yeah. And I'll put it into a bit of context, first of all, before we come over to you for, for a bit of a, a, an outline view on this. Um, I work as a freelancer in the events industry. So I will work for you know, different people at different times of the year for several days, sometimes for one day, but often as part of that role uh, and doing ops for people and, and, um, and facilitating conferences and things like that, I'm given access to data. I need to either contact people or see details of people. Um, and, and it was brought to my attention a few months ago that it, it was really important that I'm now uh, ICO registered. Um, I'm sure that there will be similar uh, people, uh, people in a similar position to me listen to the podcast today who work in a similar capacity. Could you just perhaps explain to them a little bit about what, what the ICO is if they're not familiar with it and why it's so important to be registered with them? All right, okay, so our, um, the ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office, is the statutory authority for the UK. Um, um, all... 28 countries currently in the EU have a statutory <laughs> authority. If you're in a place like Germany, there's one per region. Um, and um, they, they monitor, they regulate the data protection. They also regulate um, freedom of information. Mm-hmm. So it's where people go to complain. Um, they advise on policy. They can audit. They can find. They, they're, they're the organisation that issues the fine. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but they are also there to help and advise. And um, if you are um, a data controller or a data processor, um, if you pass a certain criteria, then you are required by law to register with them. Right. Uh, if you think um, that you might, this might be the case for you, then you can go onto the ICA website, and, and there's a little bit that says registration, and you can go through the little. Um, there's a little questionnaire you can fill in which will tell you whether you need to register or not. Um, and um, that's, that's fine, but most people will answer the questions in the way they think that gets them out of it. Yeah. Um, don't. Um, <laughs> do, not, do not try and, and, and go rob these guys off because they're, they're cause, cause they have not, lots of little nasty surprises up their sleeves. Uh, one of the things, and, um, and I, I find this a lot with charities, um, I went, there was one organisation that works with charities to manage something on their behalf, and the charity says, we have an exemption, we don't have to register. And I say, yes, you don't for yourself, the charity you don't, but you've got our data, yeah. which is an operation outside of your jurisdiction as a charity, and therefore you must register. Um, so it's not onerous. Um, I think you've done it now, haven't you? Oh, I, ser- I certainly have, and I, and I yeah. can tell. I can t- I can back up exactly what you've just said, uh, as I did at the the, the, the masterclass for the, for the Event Tech Live exhibitors. I, I, it took me about five minutes. Um, I had to answer some simple questions about um, what what sort of data I've I'm given access to. Um, you know what what my own job role is. Um, you know. It, it, do I work for myself or do I have any employees, et cetera, et cetera. And I, and I populated everything as honestly as possible um, and submitted the registration. And as a, as a freelancer, as a sole trader, um, I, I am charged the princely sum of £40 a year or £35 if I commit to a direct debit. Um, and that's me registered. Yeah, so, and I would advise everyone to commit to a, a direct debit because then um, it, it comes out whether you remember or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, because the fines for not paying um, are start at £400 and go up to 4350 And Farrow and Ball got fined this year because they forgot to re, um, renew their registration. 
Um, yeah. And then excuse was the person that did it was on holiday. I said, but the direct debit would have solved that problem. <laughs> so um, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I also want to say that as a data protection officer, um, I know that we're, I was talking to one or two suppliers at um, um, the masterclass. They said we've never been asked by anybody for our ICA registration number. And he said, well, as a as a data protection officer, I always ask every supplier. For it as part of the data sharing agreement, mm-hmm. part of the, the um, we do a thing called um, the kind of like overview of processing before we, we issue the, the, the sharing agreement or processing agreement. Um, and for me, it's a measure of how seriously you take data protection. Yeah. If you aren't registered, um, particularly if I'm in a role where public money is involved, you aren't getting onto the procurement list. Yeah. Because it means that. Um, but you don't take data protection as seriously as we do. Mm. Um, I am registered with the, with the ICO. I handle no data at yeah. all. But it isn't worth my while not to be registered. Yeah, given what you do for a living, it just makes sense. Yeah. So you know, so but it's just it's a fact for me. It's a fail safe. But for thirty five pounds a year, you know, it's fine. So so it's also important that you don't try and fox the system, as you said. It costs you thirty five pounds. A lot of companies, um, majority of companies in the event industry will be a tier two. So you're a tier one. A tier two costs the printer somewhere sixty pounds a year. But if you fall into tier two, you can really you can afford sixty pounds a year. Yeah. Um, it's really important that you keep your address up to date. It's really important that if you've got a data protection officer and you have to have one, that they are registered there. Um and that um you are the right here. So you do not want to get caught out by something that is a really, really, really big admin. But equally, I work with companies that have spent hundreds of thousands of pounds becoming compliant, hundreds and hundreds of hours of management time. Mm-hmm. Why are you going to then go and work with somebody or an organisation or use their services who couldn't give in, or couldn't make the effort to spend forty pounds? Exactly, exactly, exactly right. And um, and I suspect as as more companies become aware of this, as more event organisers become aware of this, and, and just going back to, to, to my own circumstances as a, as a freelance, you know, I'm a, I'm a one man band, um, as many other people who work in the events industry, you know, individual freelancers. That, that I suspect that this is going to be something that will be more and more of a criteria. Um, you know, you won't get a gig working with somebody on an event unless you can show that you are you are registered yeah for me it's just a box so just a, just a box to tick if you're going to get some data then i want to know that you've that you've done that you're you're somewhere in the frame um mm. the, it, there's it's, it's it really isn't hard um and, and should be something that, that everybody should do you know it, it, if, if if I was asking you to spend three thousand pounds, then you know then we'd have to have much 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 more legit <laughs> reason. But I'm not so. <laughs> Absolutely, it's it's less than what most people would spend on a on a good Saturday night out now if they went out around town. This is at two coffees in Starbucks. But, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and, <laughs> for anybody that's interested, ico.org.uk is the website. ico.org.uk is the website to go to if you do want to register and uh, and find out a little bit more about that. But as I said, and as as Helen has said, um, it's a it's a quick process. It's an easy process. Populate your details. Do it as honestly as possible. Get registered. It's really worthwhile. It's a simple thing to do. Um, and in the long run, it will no doubt serve you really well if you work in the industry. 
country. Um, Helen, just one more thing. If you want to check whether somebody is registered, they also, if you put register of fee payers into that same website, um, you can go and check um, whether somebody has a valid registration because um, I do that. So somebody might give me a registration number, but I will go and check. Uh, where I have had a couple of organisations said, yes, we're registered, yes, we're registered. And I said, did you realise this is an annual fee, don't you? And they went, no, we paid it two years ago yesterday. You are expected to renew. And just one last thing on this particular point. Yeah. If um, where companies get into trouble is when somebody reports them to the ICA. So if you haven't handled a subject access request properly, or somebody thinks that you continue to spam email them when you've asked them not to, and all these kind of things, where they go to report you is the ICA. The first thing the ICO does is to go and look up your registration details. If yeah. you are not on there, then you are in the net. There we go. They've, they've got you. So, um, so if you've got four and a half thousand people on your database, that's four and a half thousand people who could rat you in. So that's quite high probabilities. So you kind of like go with that. Take the advice, people. Take the advice. Helen, finally, before we wrap up today's episode, tell us if, if somebody wants to get in touch directly uh, uh, with you and your organisation, Data Oversight, um, how do they find you guys if they want to speak to you about the, the services that you offer? Uh, okay, so um, we've got a really dodgy website because, <laughs> I because, uh, because time is spent doing things with clients. So um, dataoversight.uk, um, you can find us there, or info at dataoversight.uk. Um, um, or you can come and find me on LinkedIn. I'm really, really happy to link people on LinkedIn because then they get to see my constant um, diatribe. <laughs> um, well, no, but I, 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 I currently spend quite a lot of time commentating upon um, um, data privacy and data ethics because yeah. that's something that really uh, um, interests me. Um, you find me on LinkedIn. Um, my name is spelled with a double L, so find it. Um, but please, if you if you request to link to me, tell me that you heard me on the podcast because otherwise I would ignore you. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Helen, thank you very much for joining us today. I know that um, Helen's joining us um, from outside the, the University of Hertfordshire um, with, with a, 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 a a lecture looming in the next 45 minutes or so. So she, oh, she's been very generous with her time this morning to, to, to squeeze us in as the first recording of the day uh, before, before today's lecture starts. So Helen, thank you very much for joining the podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you're uh, watching the podcast on eventindustrynews.com, have a little click around, see some of the latest features and special uh, supplements that have been produced. But don't forget that you can also go to your chosen podcast platform and listen to audio-only versions of all of the podcasts, go right back to where we began. The flip side to that, of course, is if you are listening to today's podcast via one of those podcast platforms, get over to eventindustrynews.com where you can see videos of all the podcasts that we've done and also uh, find out about some of the features latest news and what's happening in the world of the events industry in the UK and indeed further afield but that brings us to, to the uh, end of today's episode thanks very much again to our guest today Helen Beveridge from Data Oversight talking about data protection issues within the events industry we will see you on the next issue of the podcast my name is James Dixon thank you very much mm -hmm.